0: So uh, we started last week in this new series, and uh, we're all stressed, we agreed, right? We've got situations that stress us, and stress is part of our lives. And so this morning I'm picking up the thread in, uh, in Mark's gospel. We started at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1. We're going to start in the beginning. I know it's the second book in the New Testament, but it's the earliest gospel, so it, it was written first, and we're starting in chapter 1 of, of Mark's gospel in verse 32. That evening, after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was... He did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That's why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, and casting out demons. So, as I said, we're, we, we all face stress. And, uh, and we can understand that uh, if we look back at the creation story, there was this rhythm of creativity, of productivity, and rest. And that, that all of that was part of the creative process. That it wasn't just, I'm going to be creative and then I'm going to take a nap. God doesn't need a nap. He wasn't tired, but, uh, but he does rest on the seventh day. And it says that then it says that was the account of creation. And so now we pick up things in the New Testament and, uh, and we're, we're picking up a story kind of midstream. You can tell that because our passage begins that evening. And so the question naturally is like, what evening? What, what was happening that day? And we'll run down the story. So uh, what's been happening this day, it starts in verse 21 to describe it to us. And it says, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. So Jesus starts off the Sabbath day in the synagogue teaching And that's where this day begins. And then if you pick up after Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 21, then we're told a little story about a guy possessed by an evil spirit who uh, calls out in the middle of Jesus' sermon. So disrespectful, eh? And and Jesus answers him, and Jesus casts out the demon. And and so he casts out this spirit, and he sets the guy free in the middle of the worship service. And so people are starting to talk and they're going, what kind of authority does this guy have? And what, how is he able to do this? And this is kind of amazing, but also kind of scary. And so it's a bit of a disruption, right? There's controversy. There's people that kind of get it and there's people that are not sure what to think. And it seems to cause a little bit of a stir. And then after the worship service, we've got another incident where Jesus goes to, with James and John to the home of Peter, And so they go to the Apostle Peter's home, and as they uh, arrive there, they realize that Peter's mother-in-law is really sick. And so she's been in bed all day. She's been sick with a fever, and so Jesus heals her. And she is so grateful that her response is to cook them a meal. And so she gets up immediately, and she's not just, you know, mostly better. She's fully fine, and she goes about her tasks of making them a meal to say thank you. And so there's social interaction, and there's conversation, and they sit at the table for a while. And, uh, and, and so he has a visit there. And, and all of that, right, the, the synagogue, the healing, Peter's house, Uh, And his mother-in-law and healing her and sharing a meal and conversations and all that comes with that kind of visit. All of that happens during the same day. And then we come to our passage and it says after sunset. Like the sun goes down and you go, it's already been a full day, kind of, right? After a full schedule, guest preaching, social interaction, healings in both places that Jesus finds himself We're told that evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he didn't allow them to speak. Get the scope of what's happening? So busy day, synagogue, sermon, uh, healing, Social visit, healing, and then after sunset, all kinds of people, many people, many demon-possessed people, many sick people, and Jesus is gathering with them, and the whole town is gathered around the door, just rubbernecking what's going on, right? Just checking it all out. So lots of people. Even for extroverts, that's a lot of people. And so this all happens and we're told that uh, Jesus won't allow the demons to speak because they knew who he was. So he's got this pressure on him that he feels like the time's not right to go totally public. He does these things in public places, but he's always trying to keep it a little lower key than it ends up being. And so things are kind of getting a little bigger than he really wants them to get at this stage. So there's that, that pressure too, right? Right? So there's the pressure of doing your job, of preaching in the synagogue. There's the pressure of healing people. And what does everybody think about that? And some people are kind of scandalized by it. There's him going to this house and and family, friends, family, you know, Peter's a good close friend and it's his family. So there's a bit of pressure there, right? When you're meeting somebody's in-laws and he heals her and looks after that situation And then there's this whole crowd of people, this lineup of people after sunset. And person after person is coming up to them and and, and getting healed of their sickness. Person after person is coming up demon-possessed and going away free. And many of both kinds of people and a whole crowd of people watching. that's, That's a lot of pressure, right? And so... It seems like Jesus understands what we're going through. Now, I knew a guy in seminary, and uh, I won't give his name, but he came from Cape Breton, if that tells you anything. And so he, he was one of those characters, and I remember him one time in a, in a men's Bible study one morning. We're both training, we're all training to be, be pastors. And he said, you know, that's fine for Jesus, but he doesn't know what it's like because he didn't have two little kitties hanging off him all the time. Now, if you met this guy's kids, his kids were probably the lowest key kids, the least troubled kids there were. But for him, he felt these pressures and he was sure Jesus didn't know what it was like because Jesus didn't have kids. I'm not saying kids aren't a handful sometimes. But if you run down the list that Jesus has, he's got pressure from the crowd, pressure from leaders, family pressures, pressure to heal, pressure to conform to the establishment. They're always throwing at him time pressures, people pressures, pressures from work. How would you like the job of saving the world? Any takers, right? So he's got these things. He's got people pressuring him. He's got people situations. He's got relationships to deal with. He's got people who like him and people who don't like him, and both add a certain kind of pressure, right? And they say there are good pressures. I mean, if we didn't have any pressure, none of us would have rolled out of bed this morning or any day, right? You just go, "Ah, I don't care. So there are pressures that kind of motivate us. But there's a level of pressure where where everything's pushing in on us. And it seems like everybody wants a piece of us. And everybody wants some of our time. And everybody wants us to do something different than we're doing. And we can feel that heavy level of pressure. And it seems like Jesus had these forces working on him like we did. Scripture says that he was tempted in all respects as we are. And so even though I said last week God doesn't get tired and Jesus is God, Jesus gets tired. Jesus has set aside some of the attributes of his divinity. And so in the Gospels, we find that there's times when he doesn't know things. Like somebody touches the hem of his garment and, he sa- and gets healed and, and he says, who touched me? Like, I, I don't know who touched me. And there's, there's time, there was one time when uh, when. They were talking about the end of the world and how it was going to come about. And, and he said, no man knows the day or the hour, only the Father in heaven. Like, I don't even know. Now, he knows as God, but when he came to earth, he sets aside some of those things. And so he doesn't know everything that he would know as God. He, doesn't, he seems to have access to divine knowledge, but it's not, you know, all right there like it used to be. And there's times when we hear that he doesn't have the strength to carry the cross. Like when, when, when it comes to the cross, he can't carry it all the way to Golgotha. It's not a sign of his lack of manhood or anything. He just had run out of energy physically. He spent himself for us. And so there are limitations uh, for him in his earthly life. And so what does... Jesus do about that. We find that there are times when he's hungry and, he, and there are times when he's thirsty and there's times when he's tired. He naps. We, we find him at the back of a boat one time and the disciples are going, there's a storm brewing up. What's going on? Where's Jesus? He's asleep because he needed to sleep. And so there are all kinds of things that he does to deal with the stress and the pressure and the forces that are pushing in on him and the demands of his time and his energy and his focus. And so that's what we're looking at in this passage this morning. And the first thing that Jesus seems to do is, is what he does here. Uh, there are lots of stories in scripture where he goes out to an isolated place where he goes out to a solitary place by himself and he gets away from the crowd and he gets even gets away from the disciples sometimes he takes like the the three guys Peter James and John but but the others it's like I'll be back and so we find before daybreak the next morning after this full day on the sabbath this full taxing day this physically draining and emotionally draining, healing people and seeing their diseases. And he has compassion for them, we're told again and again. So he feels for every one of those people, everyone that suffers. And so he provides help for them, but, but it, it costs him, right? And so the next morning he goes out to this isolated place to pray. And I know what you're gonna think. Yep, there's the solution. That's what the preacher's gonna tell us. We just need to pray more. So we can be like Jesus and it'll solve all our problems. Thanks for that one. I I never would have thought of praying. Didn't know you were going to come up with that one today. But that is what he did, right? And we might think it's cliche and we might even think it's expected of preachers. Um, But there is something to this. Getting away to recharge. And there's something to getting away to pray. In fact, John Wesley, you know, Wesleyan church, John Wesley, that guy, he said, I have so much to do that I spend several hours in prayer before I'm able to do it. He says, I have so much to do, I spend several hours in prayer. In fact, if he was busier, he spent more time in prayer because he said, what I gotta accomplish is even bigger, I'm gonna need more prayer for that. Most of us, and I do say us, you know, things get really busy, you go, well, maybe I'll just cut my devotions short this morning. Maybe, maybe I'll just pray real quick and get on the road because I got a lot to get done. And Wesley goes, no, 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 it's the opposite. I got a busy day. I got a lot of pressures to face. I got a lot to accomplish. I'm going to need extra prayer. But of course, you and I know that every time you try to refocus your devotional life, every time you try to pray more, every time you decide, nope, this time I'm gonna do it, something happens and pressure gets thrown at you and you end up feeling more guilty. It's just one more thing on the to-do list that I'm failing at. I'm not praying enough either. I can't get this done and I can't get that done and I'm failing God because I don't pray enough and, and what am I gonna do? But uh, Jesus even knows how that feels because Jesus gets away and uh, he senses all this pressure. He gets away for a little, just a little bit of me time. And you know what happens when you try to get some me time? Moms, you try to go and get a bath, right? The doorknob rattles. Mom, he's hitting me, right? There's things that come up. The phone rings. Somebody shows up at the door. Whenever you're trying to get some me time, dads, we don't need me time. Like, we just, we don't do much, really. But, uh, but every time we try to refocus, every time we try to get things in order, every time we decide to restructure our schedules, every time we decide to try to take time for God, things get busier. And more things get thrown at us. And and it feels like the pull is always back to the same old, same old grind. And it never seems like we have enough. And what happens when Jesus gets away? What happens when Jesus, as the model of the real way to deal with things, gets away to a, a place that's isolated on his own, to recharge his batteries so he can come back full steam and do what he's supposed to do. What happens? A bunch of people come after him. The disciples show up and they're telling him, everyone's looking for you. Like you're going over there. People are looking for you in Capernaum. Everybody wants to know where you are. Everybody wants a piece of you. They want something from you. There's more people to be healed, and there's more people who are sick, and more people want to talk to you, and more people have needs. Jesus. Come on, Jesus. What are you doing out by yourself? Everybody's looking. Everybody's hurting. Everybody has a need and you're supposed to be meeting it. Now do you think Jesus understands pressure? Right? Like just when you feel like you're tapping out and you need some time to yourself, but there's so many things to get done and there's so many people depending on you and there's so many people making demands of you and there's so many situations that pull for your attention. And so Jesus, like us, feels the pressure just when you feel like you needed some time. And so they feel they have a claim to his time and they feel they have a claim on his energy and they feel like he should be doing something different than being away in that isolated place Resting, and Jesus' answer is basically, it's 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 a word it's it's a word that's kind of difficult to pronounce. It's kind of a complicated word. I don't know if you know much about uh, about ancient Hebrew or or Greek, but. Uh, you could try this word. I'll, I'll try to translate it into English, but it's it's kind of complicated to pronounce. Are you ready? No. That was his response, basically, what it boiled down to. Say it with me. Practice. Some of you are really bad at it. I don't want to be critical, but some of you are really bad at saying that word. Can you say it? No. So Jesus, this is what he said. He said, It was a nice way to say no, but it was still no. He says, we must go to other towns as well. I will preach to them too. That's why I came. He says, you're telling me I got to go back to Capernaum. There's people looking for me. There's people with needs. There's people who have a claim on me. There's people who want what I'm doing the other times and they don't want me to stop and they want me to keep going and keep going and keep going and no we gotta go to other towns as well and I'll preach to them too, that's why I came. Like he knows why he's there. He knows what he's about. He knows what he has to accomplish. And so there are people with very real needs who are coming and asking him to do something And he says, I can't be there and go where I'm supposed to go and I'm not going to be torn in half and I'm not going to deal with the guilt. I'm going to go where I'm supposed to go. And here's a newsflash for you. Jesus, because he takes on human flesh like us, we can't be in two places at the same time. Did you know that? Do your friends and your family know that? Do your coworkers know that? Does your boss know that? You can't do two things at the same time. You can't expend energy that you don't have. You can't do more than you can do. So there are times when you feel torn. There are times when there's like two things that are vying for our attention, two things that demand to be done, two things or two people that are making a claim on us and I don't know what to do. I remember talking to a lady once in one church and uh, her husband had not been well. He was in his 80s. Her mom was 90-something, and her mom was, you know, on the verge like like she could pass away any day. And her husband wanted to travel, and this might be her last chance to travel with her husband. He's not going to feel up to it much longer. And, and I remember having this conversation with this lady. She's a dear friend, and and she's like, I, I feel torn. If I go, what happens if my mom dies while I'm gone, and I'm going to feel really guilty? But if I don't go, you know, my husband, Jack, he's going to—it's he, going to— what if I don't go with him and this was my last chance to travel with him? What if he doesn't make it? Like, like I feel like I really need to be a good wife, but I also need to be a good daughter and I don't know how to do both in this situation. You ever had decisions like that? That seems so difficult because both choices seem to have a demand and, and seem to be good things and seem to be things that you should do, but you can't do both. You can't get it all done. Like it's physically impossible. It's not just that it's going to be, you know, I'm going to have to run from here to there and I'm going to have to like, you know, tear myself apart. But it just can't even happen. And all I could say to her is pray about it and do what you feel is best. But whichever choice you make, don't feel guilty for not doing the other one because you can't do both. You just can't. You can't go and stay at the same time. So you can't feel guilty for not going and staying at the same time. Make the best decision you can with the information you have prayerfully, but then let go of the guilt. And so Jesus seems to be a great model for this because he guilt-free says, I'm not gonna do that because this is why I came. I'm not gonna make this choice because I know this is the right choice for me. He knows the right choice for him. We don't always, so we can pine over it. But if we make the best decision we can with the information we have, and we pray about it, and we ask God to help us, then we gotta just make the best choice that we can. And it's never gonna be magic. And we're never gonna get it right all the time. But we have to understand our limitations. And so Jesus knows his mission, and he knows his limitations, and he takes time to himself, and he focuses, and he says, I need to make choices, and sometimes the choice is to get away and rest, and then sometimes the choice is not to go where, where I'm being pushed to go, not to go where people are making demands of me, not to go to the place that everyone might feel you need to be there. But to say no, And to be focused on what you're supposed to do. And to guilt-free walk around in the world knowing you can't do everything. Even Jesus knew that he couldn't do everything while he was on earth. And so he does that for us. He models for us what it is to cope with our circumstances and what it is to not just walk around feeling guilty all the time because we can't do everything. He knows his mission and he knows where he's supposed to go and he chooses to go there and he doesn't feel bad for not going somewhere else. And so we have to ask, what is it that we is our focus? What is it we are supposed to be doing? What is it the mission for today that God's laid on my plate? Sometimes people are asked, you know, to to do this exercise and to say, you know, what do you want your eulogy to be? What do you want written on your tombstone? And, and what is it you want written on your tombstone? Do you want rest in peace? Or is it going to end up being like some people running ragged and you're going to end up uh, feeling like it's rest in pieces? Or is it something else? Is there something that you're made to do that's going to be your legacy to the world? Is going to be the thing that they say about you after you're gone? The thing that you know you did and you did it right? Is there a mission that God has for you in the world and you're supposed to do that and you're not supposed to do anything different, anything more or anything less? Do you believe that God has a plan? laid out for you and that he will be clear if you're listening. That he'll give you the thoughts to find your way there. That he'll clear up if you're pointed in the wrong direction. That he'll reduce the fog or if there are things, have you asked him and said, God, look, if I am taking on too much, if I'm taking on the wrong stuff or I'm taking on too much of the right stuff and and I need to stop, Draw the boundary around what I'm supposed to be doing today, tomorrow, this week, in the future, and help me not to take on anything that I shouldn't be taking on, no matter how good it looks or how needful it seems. Let me do what I'm supposed to do. And help me not to be taking things that aren't mine and carrying burdens that were never mine to carry. So maybe a better question isn't not what do we want on our tombstone, but what does God want on our tombstone? What is it he is writing on your heart and in your life that could be your legacy in the world because you did exactly what he made you for? And how satisfying it would it be to get to the end of your life and look back and say, I have no regrets because I did what God made me for. What he called me to. I played the role he wrote for me. And I went where he told me to go and I did what he told me to do. And I'm at peace and I'm satisfied and i know what it is to live abundant life full life full on complete satisfying life he told me what to do and i listened no one i've ever known lying on their deathbed ever regrets listening to god not one because there's such a sense of rightness and purpose in that, that it gives solace to your soul. I want to reach the end and I want to hear him say, good and faithful servant. And I don't care what anybody else thinks of me. If he says that, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be content to go from this world to the next because I will know that I belong to Jesus. Jesus. And I did what he said and I was obedient and that will be the only meaning I need in life.